Is there an intro that you do, like really quirky, like? Hello, my name is Sean. <laughs> no, it usually goes like this. Hi, my name is Sean. This is the Indie Setup, and we're brought to you by Shape House Productions. With me today are Hamish and Rachel, and they're currently putting on a play at the Chippen Street Theatre. Hamish, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Rachel, welcome. Hiya. Um, so let's get into it, guys. Uh, tell me about the play. What is it called? It's called Sunday on the Rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's written by an American writer, Theresa Rebecca. She is more uh, famously known for writing episodes of LA Law and things like like police shows and courtroom dramas. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, she's uh, written quite a lot of those, and she's also written a lot of plays. And yeah, it's the it's the story of uh, four women. Three women who decide to get drunk and lament their lives on a Sunday, on a Sunday, and um, then the fourth character is the more pious, uptight member of the household who um, sort of comes in and causes a little bit of uh, discord amongst them all. Uh, and yes, drama. I take it from your little prayer reaction there, Rachel, that that's you, the yeah, fourth that character. Is me. Yeah. Cause a lot of mayhem, don't I? Yes. Yeah, pretty much stir up the whole dynamic of the house. Um, and you're also a force throughout the whole play. Like, she's. Yeah, because they spend pretty much the whole act one. I sort of come in, like, come in, in fact, like, in conversation where they complain about me constantly. And there's no return because they're like, oh, the rent's so cheap and we don't want to move out. I'm like the center of their problems, pretty much. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um,. Let's uh, find out a little bit more about you guys. Um, why don't we start, Rachel? Okay. Um, how did you get into performance? Wow. Okay, so this dates back way back to when I was in high school. I think I just was really into music and I wanted to be a musician. But then when I went into drama in high school, then I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, I really want to do acting instead. Um, and so I was living in the States uh, I think 16, 15, 16, and I went back to Malaysia, which is which is where I'm from originally, and went to high school there. I was really just depressed and <laughs> sad, <laughs> as you are as a teenager, and yeah. I found an outlet in, in acting, and I think after that I was like, okay, I'm, that's what I want to do. And the next best thing for me was to apply for drama school, and the closest thing that I wanted to do uh, where I was was in Singapore. So I went there and I, I mean, I also heard a lot of good things about the school actually before I even went in. So I just applied, uh, you know, I had nothing to lose and I got in. So spent the last three years there, just finished, thank God. And that's how I met Hamish. And studying in Singapore. Studying in La Salle. Right. Oh yeah. So that's school. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> what were you doing in Singapore, Hamish? Uh, I was um, doing a artist in residence uh, at the school teaching voice uh, acting acting for screen and uh, directing wow so yeah what about you Hamish how did you get in into all of that <laughs> rolling your eyes at me <laughs> oh it's just so long I mean Look, I was born give us the abridged version the bridge version is my mother worked for NIDA and I grew up there literally like riding my bike and running through the halls and or running around the old tin sheds that were neither in those days, and being the kid whenever they needed a kid in their plays, and that was it. Uh, she enrolled me into an old place called uh, Shopfront Theatre, which I don't even know if still runs, although I have a strong suspicion it does. Um, and that was when I was about eight, and I've been involved in it ever since, in some form or another, whether acting, directing, or teaching. So yeah, that's the that's the short version um the longer version takes you know a little bit longer but oh. i've had great opportunities you know i've um traveled a lot and done a lot of uh, plays that have shaped me as a person as much as just being a performance um and i think that's what i always used to look for in the work that i used to do was how is this going to change me what is this going to bring to my life more than just oh that's a job i'll take that Mind you, you know, you know that that was probably not always the best economic choice, um, but it was a choice that I made, and I think I grew because of it. But yeah, and then I went into teaching eventually and directing. So, was it go. a similar choice for Sunday on the Rocks? Do you know Sunday on the Rocks? I, look, I was uh, asked to teach American theatre 
uh, module at Actor Centre, uh, which is now located in Leichhardt. And I thought I knew about it at the time. I thought I knew about it. And then as I delved into it, I just realized I had no idea. And I approached uh, Kevin Jackson, who was then at the time uh, working at NIDA, where I was also working. And I said, you know, I, I, you know, he is a, like a walking encyclopedia of, of theater. And, yeah. and I said, look, you know, could you just steer me in the direction? And he gave me a couple of names and Theresa Rebecca was one of them. And I literally just found this play. And this, I don't know how many years ago this was. It was maybe four or five years ago. Oh, no, it could be even longer. A, a time, poof, goes out. Anyway. <laughs> um, and I remember reading it going, this is awesome. I love it. And almost every year uh, that I taught that module, or if I ever taught American accents, uh, I would provide a, 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 bit of a, a bit of a scene from that script to get actors to perform because I loved it so much. And you I sort of give it to us. No, but I didn't teach you guys. Well, yeah, you that, did, yes, no, you did. no. I did. I not give it to you. No, no I, I okay. Well, that, that's that, everyone but you. Okay. <laughs> Great, thank you. <laughs> that's okay. And um, so yeah, I just loved it. And I always had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to direct it. And well, actually, the story then is that I gave it to you guys at SCS mm. actually, and um, there was uh, Haley, uh, Georgia, and Bridget who did a really wonderful job at it. And when it came to directing, I actually originally thought, you know, I'll grab them. And I knew that Bridget was, well, I knew from, you know, hearsay and rumour that she was actually overseas. Mm. So anyway, I approached um, uh, Haley. She was available. Georgia was available. And the other actress, Caitlin, I uh, saw her at a show also at Chippen Street and I thought, oh, she'd be perfect um, for one of the characters, uh, uh, Jen. And, and so I asked her and she was available. And Rachel, I had uh, I enjoyed the work of and working with at LaSalle. And then I said to her, how about it? Would you like to do the role? And um, she said yes. And she, you know, just come all the way from Singapore to, to do it. So it's been great. Yeah, wow. Just, and was that you know, a difficult decision to make for you, Rachel? I mean, coming all the way from Singapore, that uh, just to... No. Well, <laughs> no, not really, I guess, because I was actually just here on holiday at first. I went to Melbourne, which is a city that I've been to many, many times, was just there to see friends and family, and then I decided to come up here. And when I was up here, I didn't, I don't know as many people here as I do in Melbourne, so I knew that he was here. I knew that Hamish was here, and I called him, and I was like, hey... I'll be in the city, like, what's up? And he's like, I'm doing this play, and like, w- would you like to read for it? And that's what I did. And I think things just worked out that way. Um, yeah, we met on the, uh, we met, because I, I couldn't use my place, and I didn't have anywhere else to use. So we met at Coogee Beach, uh, oh, yeah. which is near where I live, and where they had like, a, they have like these picnic areas, and the four of us, well, five of us, I should say, uh, the four girls and myself all met and we had a read. So Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah. And then we all just gelled, you know. And I mean, you know, I, I had a rapport with, obviously, with uh, Hayley and Georgia and Rachel. but And Hayley and Georgia had a rapport. But then we had Caitlin come in and she had to find her rapport with the girls. And Rachel had to find her rapport with the girls. And, and it just seemed to work. So, you know. How is it working um, with, you know, ex-students on, uh, you know, professional plays now? Uh, it's fine. I mean, that's what they trained for. You know, yeah. it's just about saying, well, okay, we, we did the school thing. Now let's do it outside of school. I, it, uh, yeah, I, I don't really think about it like that. I just think... I'm, you, the I think difference you is the we're not paying thousands of dollars to make a play. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. There's no a tuition fee <laughs> yeah, involved exactly. in this one. <laughs> Although I should arrange that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you can swing it, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I'm, why not? I'll try. Yeah, why not? No, they've been really generous. Obviously, I'm you know flat blo- broke. If anyone wants to generate um, donate uh, donate generously, they're welcome. Uh, so they've been giving up their time, which has been fabulous, and they're awesome, awesome, all all four of them. Mm. And of course, we've had uh, Chloe Baldacino, who's been helping us as well, and she's been fabulous as fabulous oh, yeah, as great. well. Like, you know, she, within like days, she Instagram was up and Facebook was up and. You know, yeah, she's and done the poster, no and I had no idea how to do that. Mm. Like, and I, I, you know, and I didn't know how to get technology to do posters and flyers and 
programs and she's just been diligently working and put that all together and it's been awesome Mm, doesn't matter if you don't know how to do that stuff as long as you know someone who does right absolutely and uh, i've been very lucky to um have had um, people around me who do i kind of want to talk with you hamish because at sts uh you were our voice teacher um for a lot of the time i was and that was a, a subject of great interest to me um, and it's something I care about. And I want to talk about that with you and how you got into that. Um, what it kind of means to be a voice kind of specialist sort of thing. And, you know, what can that do for you if you're, if you're into voice and you're, you're looking to use that, um, skill. And I know Sunday on the rocks, you're, are you doing American accents in that play? Yeah, we are. Mm. Yes. Yes. Although, in all honesty, I'm not really working on the accent. Uh, I'm letting the actors do that work themselves. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I will sort of make a note here and there on a sound, but I'm too busy focusing on the acting and, and everything else to be focusing on accents uh, in, in this instance. But, yeah. Yeah, voice. I mean, look, you know, it for me, voice is... Well, I mean, if we look at life in the sense that they say, you know, I don't know if the percentages are correct here, so don't quote me. But, you know, they they talk about body language being sort of the majority of our signal. So I won't give percentages, you know, but they say what 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 you say doesn't matter. Sometimes it's more how you say it. So what is your body saying? Uh, What is your tone of voice saying? Things like that in life. So. You know, your body is sort of 70, 80% of your signal to someone else. You might be saying, I really like you, but something in your body is closed or vice versa. For me, when it comes to theatre, the, the, the idea that the body is so high as the, the indicator of um, communication, it's, it's not that way for me in theatre. It's more for a, sort of a 50-50. Because yes, we have to, our body has to connect with our voice or a voice connect with the body, but because theatre is such a vocal experience, um, I think the voice becomes about sort of a 50-50 uh, relevance when it comes to communication. If your body's out and you're not... If you're coming on as a... Your character's confident and yet your body's not confident, people are going to go, what's wrong? Now, they may not be able to say what's wrong, but they will subconsciously register and it's the same thing with the other way if your body is strong but your voice is weak or isn't doesn't have what we call resonance uh then then again the audience might go i kind of no sort of yeah it was a good performance but and they may not be able to register what it is but something registers on the subconscious so uh, trying to answer your questions. Um, what voice is for me is obviously first and foremost communication. But I, the work I do with you... Now, a lot of the things that I find with theatre, especially in Australia, and I, I can't say a lot of time in England as well, is that voice was about accents and dialects. Mm-hmm. I, I would be the first to say I'm, I'm, that's not my strength. I can do it. But accents and dialects are a, a small fraction of what what we well, what I do as a voice person. So what I do in the school environment is I talk, it's it's about health and safety. So being able to use your voice over long periods of time without getting injured. So for instance, you do a three month run or a you know three year run. You're doing what six to eight shows a week. How do you sustain yourself over that? period you know six days a week eight shows maybe who knows again and again and again for as i said anywhere from you know three months to three years say that is my job is to sort of go well how to teach you techniques in order that you do it in a safe manner also uh it's about space so let's say you're you're in a particular theater and that's all you do you stay in that theater for the whole run of your show you need to be able to fill that space. So for me, I always say to my actors, look, you're not talking to your other actor as well as you should also be talking to the furthest member of the audience, mm. you know, and and it's about filling that space in a way that they get to experience 
the entirety of your story as the actor directly opposite you. And then imagine if you're doing a touring show and you're changing from venue to venue to venue, having the skills to adapt yourself accordingly to the different sizes of those and shapes of your space. Uh, so, so my, uh, with that, that's sort of the vocal side that I spend most of my time on working with students. And then I move that into text. So obviously making sounds is one thing, but applying it to text is really the, the end game as actors, isn't it? You know, you, you don't just lie on your back and go you know (laughs) which I do see some voice teachers do Um, and and so then it's about how you apply your voice in the text and how you utilize and then we start to talk about things like uh, turning language into a tool of communication so what I mean by that is uh, you know you may remember uh, I used to talk about consonants now we talk about consonants as being and what do we use consonants for well we use consonants for communication right uh, it's articulation, but yeah, consonants can also be so much more. They can communicate mood, they can help with rhythm, they can create a kind of ambience. I, I often like to think about the way um, the late uh, Alan Rickman would use his voice in the role of Severus Snape in Harry Potter. And he would just use it in this beautifully controlled, quite slow but deliberate fashion um, which pretty much had everybody mesmerized, you know, and that was a man who had control of his voice. He could use the language in a way that could seduce you, could draw you in, uh, create this eerie kind of mood and dominance and mm. power over you, you know. Um, equally, you might need to show a kind of, like I worked on um, Legally Blonde some years ago when it was here, uh, and you know, you, using the different characters needed different voices, you know, like uh, what's the lead actor's, what's the lead character's name? in L. L. L, yeah. So, you know, she needed that kind of high-pitched kind of, you know, ditzy blonde, but yet had to have a power in her voice when necessary. Although for that job, I was hired to be an accent and dialect. And this is the thing where I cross the line constantly in what I do, because mm. I was hired as an accent and dialect coach for that. Oh, now stop your vacuuming. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so rude, but we must continue. <laughs> All right. So I was hired as an accent and dialect coach for that job. Um, but actually, I crossed the line into acting and, and guiding some of the actors with choices. That always... And, and this, is, this brings up the next point, which is really important. And when a, one of the things that I noticed in Australia is that directors get a little bit worried about voice people. I'm not exactly sure why... I think really it's because they think that they're going to somehow direct the actors in a way that the, the director doesn't want. Right. And I think that's a really key point that the, the first thing an acting, a voice coach must do with, with their director is sit down and say, what is your vision as a director? How do I um, facilitate your vision? You know, And I don't ever give a no to an actor unless I know, A, that I've been given... Um, pre sort of like um permission to do that uh or i've i've consulted with the director to say can i say this to the actor and i think that's the one thing that vocal coaches uh need to be really uh, anyone who's ever interested in getting involved in it is that you know you have to always defer to the director because it's their play it's their vision and they might not want because some directors are like i don't want voice people near me they clearly had bad experiences yeah um I, I like to talk a lot about text when I deal with actors and help them find hints in the text about character and things like that. But I always, you know, bracket it with, here's an idea, present it to your director. But if the director doesn't want it, move on to the next choice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to have another question? I don't know if I've just been rambling. No, it's good. Um, it's interesting that you say, just coming back to one of your um, points there, um about uh you're not really focusing on accent uh for this play particularly and because we we often read like you know 
you must have an American accent in order to succeed. You must have this and that. And when we read reviews about plays in accent and they say, oh, you know, they often say the accent was shaky at times and things like that. And that it draws the audience out of the experience in a way. Um, what do you guys think of that? Well, I, I do agree to some degree. Um, yes, it can. Mm. Uh, but also I wonder if those people are out to pick something, like to pick at something. It can be detrimental to the sort of setting of the of the the world that you're creating if you drop out of your accent consistently. Um, I'm a little bit more lenient, I think. I like to be. Uh, although I was a f- crazy fanatic when I was an actor... And I just wouldn't stop. I would just talk in the accent constantly, all day, every day, learning it, practicing it, getting so familiar that that was uh, to the point where I would just just speak it no matter what I was doing, working, walking, talking, everything. But I was kind of obsessive about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes. Isn't that a good thing though? Yes, I think to it stay is. in the accent if you're playing a character that has a specific accent to to stay in it. I think it is. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I think accents are just... For, like, the general audience, I feel like accents are... Is this thing um, where people just... It's easy to impress someone with. Yeah. It's like a party trick, almost. Um, it's like when you watch talent shows and stuff. Like, they they think, like, hitting a really high pitch if you're singing or if you're playing an instrument, like, really, really fast. Like, that's impressive. But really, in the context of it all... Maybe it's not that impressive. Maybe something that's more complex and doesn't sound as impressive is actually harder to achieve or more difficult to. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, because like, um, an accent is more of a, a technical skill, really, yes. rather mm-hmm. than um, a means of carrying emotion or, or communicating a thought, like, you know, yeah. as you were saying. Um, mm-hmm. But I, on accents, Rachel. Um, Obviously, you've got a slightly American kind of accent. What do you think? Yes, you, you do. It's the, um, sorry to sorry to bring this to your attention oh, no. on the spot. I didn't but, know um, this. Okay, yeah. Is that is that something that um, people don't expect from from you? As in, do they get surprised when? Yeah, I yeah. Open my mouth I mean, speak? yeah, because uh, you're from Malaysia, right? Yeah, and. And that's like not exactly a, you know, two and two together kind of thing. Yeah. But then most of the time, I think when people do hear me speak for the first time, I don't think they would uh, associate me with being Malaysian because they're like, oh, are you from... Usually I get Canadian. Oh, really? Is, which is fine. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with that. But like, it's... uh, Yeah, well, I end up telling them like, oh, no, actually, I'm from Malaysia. And they're like, oh, you don't sound Malaysian. That's like the first thing I hear all the time. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, well, I grew up in... I, I did grow up in many countries, so that's kind of why whatever this is, whatever's going on, this is, has cultivated. So, so um, yeah, no, I don't think they, they're, they're kind of surprised at first, but then afterwards, I think it's just kind of like, eh, you know, this is just the way I speak, I guess. Hmm. But yeah, it's interchangeable. I can speak in a Malaysian accent if you want me to, but. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, it's a good party um, trick. Yeah, it is. It's like, uh, what should I say? Yeah, what would, I say what would a Malaysian accent be rather um, than an American? It's more like, you know, uh, what should I say? Like, okay, you look at Hamish, like his head is like very bald and everything like that. So like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you okay, you're editing that. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, we're going to leave like, in the fact that you're bald. <laughs> so like, you know, uh, we have a word for bald. Right? It's like botak. So instead of bald, we say like, oh, this guy is botak. Does that even make sense to you? Like that's yeah, why yeah, yeah. I don't speak in that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Is yeah. that is that hard for you? Is it like no? It just it just confuses hard, people. I, I think it confuses people here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I'm back in Singapore or Malaysia, no, no, it's like they understand me more in that than if I spoke like this. Really? Yeah. Well, you t- you had a hard time even understanding the Singlish Singaporean accents when you yeah, were Singa- over there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. It takes a while for your ear to adjust. And Singlish is a completely different language. It's an amalgamation of English yeah. and, and Singaporean various, or whatever. Well, various different Chinese yeah, it is. Mm. It's like a, It's like, like Mandarin, Cantonese, Hokkien, yeah. Teochew, Malay, Tamil. Like it's a, all jumbled I mean, into I mean, one beautiful 
mess. Mess, yeah. yeah. It is quite. It's really interesting to hear. I quite, but I didn't understand it. I couldn't couldn't concentrate. But you know, I didn't mind it. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But Singapore is pretty awesome like that, I think. Oh, you love it, didn't you? I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's another conversation. <laughs> What's um the acting kind of scene like in Singapore? In Singapore? Well, it's... um, That's what they always say. It's always a scene. And it's I think currently it's still a scene. It's not really an industry, yet, I would say. Um, and that's what they told us when we went into... When, when I first went into La Salle. When they said like you know there's really not an industry for this there is a scene but it is it is um it's blooming it's happening right now and it's it's bigger than ever and it's and it's still continuing to grow i mean right now we have you know easily like 10 big theater companies at the moment 10 i'm just like guessing but there are definitely like a few big names in singapore already and like there's a few little smaller independent uh, theater groups that are touring. We just watched a Singaporean uh, touring show recently called Fat Kids Are Harder to Kidnap. And <laughs> they've been doing that for like, <laughs> they've been doing that for like 11 years. Wow. And that's, you know, that is quite a while. I mean, you know, looking back, I think 20 years or so before, there was just these few little names. But now it's um, it's still not like not everyone knows about it but like there is now there is a big community involving in, in theater and, and there's stuff. some good quality yeah like there is some good quality out there yeah um yeah it is yeah right now they're doing um you're in town yeah. i don't know if you know that musical yeah but yeah a pandemonium's doing that show right now for like in the next two weeks mm. so and you've yeah. done a few films haven't you like like Film clips, yeah, and things but like we're that. talking about theater here. I know, but so I'm just we saying. We talk about film. The expanse of the industry <laughs> yeah, yeah. is not. Oh yeah, yeah. And can I just add? I mean, like you, you talk about it as a scene, but you're still like there's still money there, and people are. Getting, oh, there is. It, it, people yeah. are getting paid. People so are getting hired. It it is professional in that respect. Yeah. And the, you know. um, there is a lot of opportunity. I think um, uh, there's a lot to go into it because you know I'm going to say this first. Because Singapore is such a multiracial, multicultural country that there are a lot of, um, I don't want to say it, but there are a lot of like, sort of racial biases going on right now. And I'm not yeah. going to go into that. But but there is work if you want to be an actor or if you want to do acting work. There is a lot of corporate work out there. So oh, yeah. stuff for like commercials and, and infomercials or um, <clears throat> stuff like, um, or little PSAs that are, sponsored by the government and stuff that's um that usually pays pretty well pretty well yeah Yeah, i mean i have a client over there who i've been doing sort of the odd skype sessions with that i met and worked with whilst i was in singapore and they are doing a lot of corporate stuff and a lot of the work that we do is actually it's interesting because there's a kind of i mean this is not entirely the most accurate thing to say, but there is a sort of a division um, in the expectation of the corporate work of whether they want British or American accents sometimes, or they want what they call a neutral accent, yeah. which that is, is isn't it? it's yeah. a difficult concept. Like what is neutral? Well, neutral is, I mean, what is neutral? You know, yeah, neutral right. is actually nothing, isn't it? I, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, it would what, be. How do you yeah. neutralize something? What, what then becomes bland? I guess in a sense. Mm. I think um, in but, Singapore, sorry, but the, yeah. I think in Singapore, I think what they mean by neutral is like it's almost a mixture of Singaporean and American and British all at the same time. Yeah, and it has something I mean? to do like, with clarity as yeah. well. Like there's a lot of lack of clarity in the Singaporean accent. Like consonants and things, the way they drop. And this is not words. a criticism against no, Singaporeans. No, at all, no, at it's all. it's just it's just an observation. Yeah. Like I yeah. I notice Singaporeans clip their vowels, so they don't. There's a lot they, of glottal shocks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, they'll they'll like Australians. So for instance, you know, if you think I'm picking on uh, the Singaporeans, let's look at the Australians and the way they try to. <laughs> and you know, like every the energy just drops at the end of every line, you know, and and they gonna hardly move their mouth and things like that. You have similar things that arise in the Singaporean accent, yeah. And the, and it's a lot of it is about getting the clarity and the energy out of the actor, you know, uh, which is yeah. the same problem why, I have with Australians. Yeah, but I think that's why when you say neutral, it's like we have the rhythm 
of the Singaporean accent, which is very different from, you know, for example, the Australian accent or, or American, but they have the forwardness of the American and then like having the British consonants so they can hit the consonants. So that's why it becomes this weird amalgamation of like yeah. of Singaporean and American and British and that becomes and this becomes the neutral accent. And I've heard it a lot in theater and it works. It does. It's kind of weird, but it works. Um, you kind of get the feeling of like, oh, okay, this character is local, but they're speaking very clearly. Mm. <laughs> but like, it's not, but at the same time, it's not super, like you wouldn't say it's very Singaporean because it's not. So in a weird way, yeah, like that's what they want, but that's what they want for, mm. for ads and commercials because it is still a rhythm that the locals are familiar with, yeah. but it's clear enough for even foreigners to be able to just hear every single word. But I, th I think so that raises yeah. a really big, thing for me as a voice person and as a director I think and most certainly as an observer uh, as a watcher and lover of films and things like that is this constant like lack of clarity you know like how many people do I speak to everyday people this has got nothing to do with Singapore now we're talking like mainstream American cinema more mm. and more and even Australian films although it depends like I'm watching a, a show at the moment Oh, I can't remember what it's called. It'll come to me later. It's an Australian television show. Is it Janet King? Janet King on on. Is that on the one Netflix. you were telling me about? Okay. Yeah, and it's really good. Like you, everything's clear. You can hear everything everybody's saying. The quality of the language uh, is, you know, really crisp and clear and uh, intelligible, but also interesting and imaginative. And they they've got some really great actors. But then you look at some. I've been talking to a lot of people more and more, and I'm talking like people that aren't in the industry and have nothing to do with the industry. And I'm like saying, have you noticed everybody's turning the subtitles on? Subtitles were the domain of the deaf. Mm. And now everybody uses them. Yeah. And they're using them more and more because no one can understand what anyone's saying. Or the volume is so loud for the explosion scenes and then the talking scenes are so low that no one can hear them. Yeah. This has been an ongoing struggle and something that's been written about in newspapers, you know, in the UK and America and uh, Australia too, I believe. Finding the root cause of that is the difficulty. Um, well, there is a cause and I'm not going to mention it, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, yeah, that, that, that finding that clarity of communication is really important. And where I was wanting to go was the idea of accents. So you, you, the thing about accents and the word authenticity or truth, the difficulty as well is that when, when I'm working with accents and when I'm looking at my actors and their accents, I go for authenticity of sound, but I also go for theatricality of clarity. Because if I if you have the sounds and the, and the inflections and all that right and the rhythms and things like that, great. But if you have a tendency like always losing, say, consonants or various words to the extent that the audience is going, what did they say? What did they say? Then you haven't done your job as an accent dialect person. Does that make sense? So yeah. I'm going to use a person as an example, right? I hope I meet him one day, one day maybe, and it's not meant to be an attack. But <laughs> I think of a guy called Tom Hardy, who is truly a great actor. Like his versatility is is amazing. Yeah. But in that, he finds this this mumble, which has basically meant that much of what he says is indiscernible. Yeah. And I haven't watched anything without subtitles. That's nothing to say with everything as him as an actor. But it's an it's an issue, and it's not only his issue. And I think we the history it comes out of is this idea that we were all very grand and the British kind of and the Americanized the Americanized version of the British accent uh, of this sort of very clipped and clear and uh, uh, sound that they had, and then in the fifties and sixties they had the method acting and they were kind of like rejecting this, rejecting this and going for this idea of more you know. Um, truthful real um almost kitchen sink like drama mm. and that, and that became the kind of the moment you know you what I mean in the it's, yeah it's probably an extension of that today where people are going for more realism and we're getting more non-actors in films and that sort of thing so that would be you know a, just a continuation of that really it, in terms of um people not being able to be understood and subtitles and all that sort of thing and, and I find a lot of directors this is the this is also a strange 
um, dichotomy is that directors want the actors to do less and less and less because that seems to help the actor find an inner truth more effectively. But then the decrease of the... In that, that decrease results in a decrease in volume and a decrease in clarity. And the trick as trained actors is that they can find that truth and that honesty and authenticity, but also they've done the vocal tech, they've got the vocal technique to enable and ensure that that is then also heard. And you know, um, when I was doing my thesis some years ago, which was on voice in film, I spoke to. Um, audio technicians, and all of them said they always prefer to work with theatre-trained actors. Oh, yeah. Because it's always clear. Going back to um, Singapore, what what was it like? Because obviously you, Hamish, went over there to work with actors, and Rachel, you've come here and you're working with other actors as well. Um, I just want to know what's the different kind of um, approaches that people take and work ethic and that sort of thing. Well, I just want to put a disclaimer. Like I'm again, I'm not Singaporean, Mm. but like I've only been, I mean, for as long as I have been an actor, I guess I'm saying this with quotes, but, um, like I've only been exposed to the Singapore like industry and, and how it works there. Um, and that's only been hap- that's that was only that only started when I was like seventeen, and now I'm not even twenty one yet. So that's how long I've been acting professionally, I think. Um, so I've, in my very limited knowledge of like, of of how people work in terms of in like the rehearsal space and in, in theater and stuff. Like, I don't know. I I, I don't really see a, a big difference uh, between doing the show here. Uh, versus doing the show doing the shows that I have done back in Singapore I, I don't know I mean I think there's you don't think so no 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 I, I I guess I spent too much time working within an institution so I didn't work on a professional in the industry I was in the institution so yeah I, I couldn't like, I couldn't comment right no but they same, were very me professional too, in the institution so you assume that they're gonna that's going to be mirrored in the in the profession I, I can only yeah like that it. is a standard I remember asking you one time like was there I think it wasn't even just me. I think it was just the class that we asked you whether there's a difference between teaching like Asian students, like students in Asia versus, you know, students <laughs> students in, in the UK or Australia. Um, <laughs> he's shaking his head and like, looking down. What is the main differences in like... You're now opening a can of worms, really. Um, and I think what we need to look at is not the country, but the education system yeah i mean i was looking at an article the other oh yesterday about how the australian education they're pretty much dumbing down the education system americans are dumbed down in their education system singaporeans i don't know if they're dumbed down in singapore but there is a certain similarity in all three of it's a regurgitation experience here's the information regurgitate it in your essays in Singapore, as an Asian country, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also a lot of pressure to perform. I don't think that same pressure lies in Australia and America, although I do believe that it's also still is relevant to Asian communities in Australia, although, you know, don't quote me on that. Yeah. It's that but that pressure to perform. But but what I'm talking about is the, the... So the education system is a regurgitation, which means that there's no creativity. And so one of the things I've encountered working in the UK, Australia, Singapore, um, is is this difficulty sometimes for them to be creative. And one of the things I encountered in Singapore, and I have encountered in other places, is this, this spoon feeding. Give me the information. No, you're the actor. I give you the technique, you've got to go and work. I'm not going to give... You know, often I do a thing with my students is I'll, we'll watch, a, watch our students do a scene, one of the students, you know, whatever, a student or some students do a scene, and then I'll go, so, class, what do you see? What do you notice? What do you observe? Okay, so clearly you've observed a lot, you know? You know, this is this deathly silence, you know? And I'm like, I don't know, they're just almost afraid to step out of line or they just don't and then you get the yeah. ones that you give a text and they just don't know what to do with it you know like 
the difference in England and things like though is that theatre is much more ingrained in their culture, especially things like Shakespeare and things like that. So they are uh, certainly a step up when it comes to classics. Yeah. Um, but I think that that sense of the slow draining of creative thought in education systems. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not an, I'm not a teacher in primary school or, or high school, but I. You know, I do see the regurgitation. I saw it when I was a kid, do you know, where we were just basically, here's the information, here's the dates, put that out. But the problem is that art of in all sorts requires creative thought, innovative thought. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and that's something that's not really encouraged in a lot of schools. I don't think Public education. I don't think so. No. I don't think either. I mean, I came from a really strict, very rigorous um, high school and I hated my life and... When I, you know, when I went into LaSalle, you know, fresh out of that high school experience and going, oh, my God, I don't know what to do with this freedom. Like, I have too many, you know, choices and I can actually grow yeah. out my hair and color my hair. Wait, what is this? So, I, yeah, like um, in response to that as a student or as an ex-student, I guess, like there is a lot of when teachers do speak like we have to wait for the teacher to be like okay you can speak now right where we can okay so this is my this is what i think and i don't know and it's you know because we don't we just don't want to get in trouble and that that whole i feel like that whole mentality and and me as an asian i think that's something that i've seen and gone through myself and uh that mentality is very much ingrained in us still even when we went after three years of theater school and it's just like yeah it's not a problem we can fix because it's not well i think you've got to change the education education system yeah bring me on conspiracy theories of too much (laughs) fluoride in our water oh geez um how about we talk about the show then rather than talk about the fluoride in the water hey i just mentioned it i didn't say i wanted to talk about it um so when is it on guys uh so the 10th to the 19th, it's on. Uh, it's on at Chippen Street Theatre. And, uh, you know, you're going to ask me how long it runs for. I'm not sure exactly yet. We haven't... Um, I keep forgetting to time it. <laughs> um, it should but be it, but it, two? Edits? You know, I don't think so. I mean, the, the first act is longer than... The, the first half is longer than the second half. The second half is really fast, actually. Yeah. Um, so the, the first half is definitely longer, um, probably somewhere in the vicinity of an hour. But the second half is not nearly that long. It's and it's it's a different pace. There's a, it's interesting. It's a different pace. And but the thing that struck me about the play, just to talk about, it, is just that yeah. it raises so many different like questions and issues that are so relevant today. I mean, I, I was writing the blurb the other day, and I was um, talking about the things that it raises. Uh, my brain is trying to remember, but you know, one of the things it talks about is abortion, and I wrote in the the, the um, my blurb, you know, how relevant that is because you know, like right now, New South Wales has only just decriminalised yeah. it, yeah. Like, or legalised it. Yeah, decriminalised. Uh, it's decriminalised, yeah, yeah. so it's not actually legal. Then it's just not you criminal. won't go to jail for <laughs> it. Yeah. So I mean, it, that's backward in its own right. I mean, that's crazy. I, and I think we have we, we would often debate like whether you believe in abortion or not is not actually. Um, the problem the here. problem it, it's the freedom of choice which is the real issue you know and and I think you can um, have the belief that actually you know what I, I I don't like abortions but I do value a person's choice yeah do you know what I mean and that that's I think that when it comes to something like that that's the key and it raises things like that it, it raises issues like you know uh, fidelity and um, you know the the it's very moral that there's a lot of moral twists and turns that within the conversations between the women and you know some people believe one you know one thing and another girl might believe another and how those those ideas clash but but so relevant today I mean it was written in the 90s and we haven't gone far yeah and let's be honest we've gone backward politically and many ways socially we've gone backward um and uh, yeah, I think that's why I'm so struck by the play. And every time I read it, I'm like, oh, you know, this is these these subjects are still so so relevant and so important to to discuss. Do you relate to your character, Rachel? No, not at all. <laughs> um, I think you casted me deliberately 
uh, for a character that is completely like the complete opposite of I did, who I yes. am. Yeah. You're a, you're a wild child, not a pious uh, saint. Um, yeah, I guess. I'm well, not really that wild, but yeah, definitely not as pious or as saintly as she is. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's even just hard for me to get my head around that. But mm. yeah. Um, well, why did you want to do that for me? I, I'm a big believer in actors challenging themselves. I, you know, I never undertook a role me unless too. it was a challenge. You know, like yeah. I... I, yeah, I I think that's that's the beauty of drama school is that you can do stuff that you um, may not ever be cast for. And the, the issue with the industry in many regards, doesn't matter what country, is that you get uh, very quickly and very easily typecast. And some actors never get to do anything outside of what they are, you know, seem to present to casting directors. Uh, I'm not that kind of a director. And I think it's because I do a lot of teaching is because... I see a potential in, in in an actor, and I think you know you could do something that's quite unlike yeah. what what you present, and that's what I did uh, with Rachel. Oh, thank that. you. And how are you taking how are you taking that on? Are you like, you know, going in? Are you living in a nunnery and that sort of thing? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, but you know that would be interesting. But no, I did go to church a couple of times. Oh, really? Oh, yes, I did. Um, and it was very inter- interesting. Um, well, see, most of my family is Christian anyway, so I've been forced practically to go to church every now and then. Um, and I just, I'm like, I just burn, my skin burns every time, but it's okay. And, but um, yeah, no, I just went around looking at people and I'm like, this is so far from from my own world and and the world that they're living in, even though it is the same world at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Well, what else is there to say, really? <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I think we all have elements of, of every character inside of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think in terms of relatability, like, no, I don't. At first, at first glance, like, I, I think like, oh, no, I don't really have anything to relate with her. But then it's like, no, well, she is someone's girlfriend which is something that I can relate to. I'm like, okay, well, I have been a girlfriend to someone before and she is someone's daughter. Presumably you don't meet her parents, but you know, she has a father and mother somewhere. And I'm like, okay, I am a daughter. Like I am a daughter. Um, I am a woman. That is much I can relate to. And the fact that my family, a lot of my family is Christian and that she's Christian. I do need, you know, a certain amount of, of empathy to, to, to understand where she's coming from and to, to relate to that and so that's I think that's how you find the truth in it and I think that's what I think that's what most actors have to do it's like if you do take on a role that's where your beliefs don't necessarily align or they just completely are opposites there are always some things where you have to find you're like okay well he's a father or he is a brother or or he has a dog like it's things like that where you're like he is that that character is human as well and how how do i bring that that truthfulness to to it does that make sense yeah, yeah. definitely okay. i think you also said something you said was belief and i think everybody has a commitment to a belief and in many ways all the characters in this play have a commitment to a belief for some that wavers during the play um but they all start most certainly with a commitment to a belief. That in itself, just that sentence for me is the most important thing as an actor. My, my, my belief as a person may not be the same as my character, but my commitment to a belief yeah. is equal to that character. And that, I think that for me is, is always a great inroad. You know, it doesn't always matter what that belief is, but the commitment to a belief is the key thing um but that's what i believe it's that you know that terrible sort of thing or they they bring up you bring up the when you play you know whatever despots or masochists and sadists or whatever whatever you do you know it's you're not you're not having to become that person to the extent of there's always and as actors we need is we have an empathy you know we've always thought Everyone's had a dark, a dark thought. Everyone's created a fantasy in their mind of what they want to happen, 
you know I'm, I'm even thinking about people stuck in offices there but have a you know <laughs> yeah. just a boss they just think I'm just really like to, and I won't say it you know but that's a flash of a moment that they would then dismiss but it's there it happens and some people live that out and others don't you know but that's what I also mean by the fact that we all have every character inside of us it's just are we willing to face that character are we willing to expose ourselves and and be vulnerable in a way uh, that most people in everyday life are not and I think that's the thing for actors we you know the best actors are vulnerable they're willing to be vulnerable and um, I think that's a real key to the work they do and I think also because Jessica, my character, is um, like she her her views pretty much sets feminism and equal rights back like 50 years. Um, and it's easy to get angry at her and, and to see her as this monster or or to just get very like, oh, how how dare you even think that or what? But I think there are some parts of her that in the show where you find um, that you can pick up that really humanizes her when she cares about her housemates in a, in a way that is different towards the other people or um, or the way she presents herself or... Yeah, it's the way yeah she nothing's so them. black and white yeah. that we want it to be, is yeah, it? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like not. It's... There is a lot of nuances where you're like, oh, but then she is human, so you can't just... Yeah. You know, she has her own views. Like, and, and that would be the lovely thing, is that if they, you know, to hate or to... Well, hate's a heavy word, but to, to dislike... Rachel's character is what we want. Yeah. At the same time, we want you to see her side a little bit. All sides, mm. yeah, all her side, yeah. all the facets of her, and they do that. I think they all show that in the play, and, and that's why I enjoyed the writing so much because it, it it isn't so black and white, you know. And it does raise, as I said before, issues that are so relevant today, and morally ambiguous much of what is said is morally ambiguous mm, it's yeah. not so clear cut no, no. but it's not coming from a place of like controversy more so of like uh people's genuine responses and thoughts about their world yeah mm. absolutely well thanks for coming on guys uh hamish rachel it's been a pleasure thank you for having um, us and as we said you can catch uh, sunday on the rocks at chippen street theater from the 10th to the 19th of october uh, my name's Sean, as always, uh, you've been listening to The Indie Setup. So before we go, uh, we just want to say... Yes, follow us on Instagram. We are at Mercury Theatre Ensemble. and Also on Facebook, you can like yeah. us on there. We have a page, tickets are on sale on the bio, and yada, yada, yada. And I think that's all. <laughs>